Can China produce a good car? Or more to the point, can a Chinese vehicle sell in the Australian market? There is now a new SUV on the market called the Haval. It hails under the banner of being the SUV division of Great Wall Motors. Funny I haven't seen this in much part of their marketing, although I did find one reference to GWM. No reference to the actual full words Great Wall Motors. They say that they are the number one SUV brand in China, where they sold their first car in 2002. There are three models on the Australian market, all SUVs of course, and Errol Smith and I have been driving their biggest model, the seven-seater H9, and Errol joins us on the line to discuss it now. Errol, the models are H2, H8 and H9, they sound a bit like the name of bulldozers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all a bit industrial, isn't it? And all you really sort of can interpret from that is that the higher number is a bigger vehicle. <laughs> well, that's just fair enough. And H for Haval. Haval sounds a bit... Uh, the young fella thought it sounded a bit Indian along the way, but nonetheless, it's Chinese. Actually, you think there are a few uh, reasonable points about it. Uh, you you like uh, the four-wheel drive capability? The H9, at least, is a, is a real four-wheel drive. It's got a, a ladder frame chassis and four-wheel drive modes, rear diff lock, hill descent control, all that kind of stuff. In other words, it's not a soft rotor like some of the other sort of toys we get, which are just tall passenger vehicles. Grown-up station wagons. A few features, a few luxury features too. I like how the base model is called the premium. We were driving the Lux, which is the top version. You get a sunroof with a with a shade, a sat-nav, tire pressure sensors, tri-zone tri climate control, automatic lights and wipers, heated seats, etc., and this is a big vehicle, seven seats with a third row for the kids. A lot of features for your money. You enjoyed the dash, e easy to read? Yeah, unlike some of the other cars we test, it's the, the dash is sort of simple and uncluttered. It's got a, a large touchscreen display with, with a menu system for, you know, most of the other sort of things you're not going to use very often. It's quite easy to drive and it's not very in inspiring to look at, but it's not ugly, unlike some other vehicles we've tested from, from Asia in the past. It's not going to look out of place on the road. I think it, it's, it's, you know, it could be mistaken for... A reasonable car. A reasonable car, yeah. Hmm. It's pretty hard to make big SUVs look good. Toyota Land Cruiser is not what you call elegant, although I must confess the uh, Range Rovers and Land Rovers, not the base Discovery, but the Discovery Sport. The base Discovery is just very boxy. Discovery Sport, I think, is a little bit better. So I was saying it's a bit hard to make them look really good, but I guess making them look okay is uh, a reasonable achievement, including that it's got a steering wheel that you appreciated over and above uh, the last SUV we drove. We had the Ford Everest, which is basically a, a converted um, Ford Ranger into a passenger vehicle, and you couldn't adjust the steering wheel in and out, much to my surprise, but you can on the Haval. Hmm. And they're backing it up, a reasonable warranty. Five-year, 100,000-kilometre warranty and uh, five-year, 24-7 uh, roadside assistance. So they're sort of trying to bat off the, um, the poor reputation that some of the, the previous generation of, of Chinese models had with reliability and things. We tend to live and die on our image, and the image and, and selling Jap uh, Chinese cars in Australia has not been a great success. So, in a way, they're really having to push against the tide, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's a better warranty than you'll get from Toyota, for example. <laughs> so. Perhaps not all fantastic, what did you find the most notable feature in it? Well, not unlike the, the Ford Everest, there's a lot of road noise in it. 
this kind of feels like a four-wheel drive, commercial four-wheel drive that got turned into a passenger vehicle. It has that kind of feel about it in the in the road noise, in the cabin and the and the ride. I found noticed a high-pitched whine from the transmission when the revs are up. The automatic seems to hunt for for gears at low speeds, which was um, a bit off-putting. But that's sort of the you know the only sort of big ticket sort of issues I, I had with it, and none of them are deal breakers really. The issue, though, of the engine is that it's only a two-litre petrol. You can't get a diesel in it. And for a big car, 160 kilowatts is not bad. Not a huge, as much torque as you might get out of a diesel engine. So perhaps its engine is not its strongest point. But then again, I guess it depends on how you're going to use it and how much you really do need for it. You found a touchscreen a bit cumbersome. Like a lot of cars now, it's got a, a lot of options, a lot of sub-menus, and there are a lot of things you can only turn on or off or change by dicking into a sub-menu, which is pretty inconvenient while the car's moving. It had seated heats, uh, heated seats, um, for example, but you wouldn't know that unless you dug into the menus because there's no button or anything to turn it on and off. You've got to go through the touchscreen. It has a lot of a lot of features in it. I didn't really like the sort of the fake wood trim. I really don't know why they bother with that. I think it detracts from the quality of the vehicle. It always says you're really trying to look good. Yeah. Whereas I really don't know what uh, wood you know inserts are really doing for you. They don't necessarily add to the elegance. They might have in the past, but they don't to me now. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, and the other only other issue I had with it was that the sat-nav tried to take me down a no-right turn. A couple of glitches here and there. I haven't looked into the sat-nav systems now. Does that, is that one that has to be updated? Or are there ones that, you know, I mean, you, if you work off your phone, then you're working off the latest edition mm. straight away. Yeah. But there, the, some of the early sat-navs, they set them up in the car and you had to buy upgrades. Well, they're offering free upgrades with the sat-nav and the Havals. I guess you, you can sort of hope that they'll uh, iron out those, those bugs as, as they're sort of reported to them. So that, that's a good thing. There's something else about the sat-nav that you found perhaps less than enthralling. wanted to get voice navigation because, you know, I don't really like staring at the, at the screen to try and figure out what I'm doing. So I turned it on and I know why the, it's turned off by default because the voice is rather strange. And I'll, I'll play, a, play a, a, a couple of samples. In 400 metres, turn right. In 150 metres, turn right. It kind of sounds like the guy that did the voice is, is really sleepy or perhaps he's had a, some wacky tobacco or something. A joint or two. <laughs> what was that comedy show about people in a spacecraft where they had a robot that had depression? That, <laughs> it sounds a bit like... Like him, was it uh, Marvin? Wasn't it Marvin the robot? Yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, was yes. it? Yeah, okay. Yes. Uh, and th there doesn't seem to be a way to be a way to change the voice. You know, often you can choose between a male and a female voice or, or something. I thought that was a bit odd. I, I assume they'll um, catch that. The other thing I, I thought was a bit odd was the air purification system built into the center console, which I hadn't seen before. It basically seems to clean recirculate the air through a filter inside the car i was wondering if that's to sort of you know get the beijing smog out of the inside of the car i, I don't know it seemed it out a bit out of place well tesla's doing one where they have air purification that's sort of at the international space station standard it's really very very good and they're trying to sell their car on that premise mm. 
So it's becoming perhaps more and more important. Although if they had air purification inside the car, they also had something that would allow you to pollute in there as well. <laughs> yes, well, it had a, a, a proper ashtray and cigarette lighter as standard, which was a bit unusual. You don't often see that uh, any, any of these days, or it's an option that you have to ask for. The other thing is that, Errol, you're one of the few people that reads manuals or checks things. Did you find any Chinglish while you were there? I did, and, and only one, much to my surprise. One of the menus is called air condition. Not air conditioning, it's air condition. <laughs> I thought they did pretty well on, on, on that. This is a big improvement on the previous generation. You, you mentioned the Great Wall, which they're trying not to name because they got a bad rep some of the, with some of the vehicles that they brought in. This is a world of difference from, from the cars that we were testing, you know, 10 years ago. Well, in fact, the Great Wall could sold quite well. They've now had some ruckus with the distribution, and so that's got a, a, obviously a great dilemma as to who's selling it. used to be the Neville Crichton Group. Now they're in dispute so really, people were buying it. Now, the price of these things, which is where Great Wall really sold itself on, the H8, which is just still a big four-wheel drive, it starts at around 42000 for the two-wheel drive version and 44500 for the all-wheel drive version. And there's a top-of-the-range H8 at about 49000 in each of those cases, plus on-road costs. Now, this one, the H9, the premium, which is not the best one, but the premium, 46500 and the luxury, about 51000 plus on-road costs. Yeah. You really do get quite a lot of features for uh, not a bargain basement price, but certainly a, a very competitive price. I wouldn't say that it's cheap compared to the competition, but having said that, it is between five and ten thousand dollars cheaper than than anything that's sort of you know roughly equivalent, which is like you, like we discussed the Ford Everest or the Toyota Fortuna or that sort of level of vehicle. So you do get a lot for your money. What you don't get and you can't add on are some of the sort of high end active safety features that we're starting to see on the other brands like adaptive cruise control, automatic braking, lane departure, that kind of thing. You'd expect them to be to be coming along in, in the future. So in summary, you were saying that perhaps the sum of its parts? Even though it, it ticks all the boxes, it's got all the features you expect, but yet the whole is somehow still less than the sum of the parts for me. It just doesn't quite come together into a car that's compelling and you know, it's just sort of, it feels like they're just, they're just one generation off uh, what it needs to be for me. Yeah, where the sum of the parts equals something better. Mm. You know, they've added on a lot of features, and really, if that's what suits you, that's fine. You can still get a car which has got a lot of interior lights that change colour, and it's got a whole range of things that make it rather interesting from that point of view, and a progression for a Chinese car on the market. Mm. It took Japan 20 or 30 years. It took Korea 10 to 15 Maybe it will take the Chinese uh, around that time or perhaps even a little less. There's nothing really off-putting about this car, mm. just to be clear. There's nothing, there's no deal-breakers, really. It just sort of, they're almost there, and I, I think we'll see a really good car out of them with the, with the, the next generation uh, after this, something that will really be genuinely competitive. But um, for 51K plus on roads, it's still cheaper than anything similar, and you get a lot for your money, so... 
something to consider, I guess. Errol, lovely to talk to you. I appreciate that. Thanks for your time. No worries, David. And that's our very own Errol Smith talking about the Haval H9, a Chinese-made SUV, large SUV, that is now on the Australian market.